Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Haha and FSA podcast. And today you are joined with your three hosts, Ian, Sophia, and Marie. And today we're also joined by a special guest. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. My name is Louisa Aquino, and I'm a fourth year student at U of T. So, how have you been? Like, a general question, like, how are you really doing right now? <laughs> how has the year been? What's up? Yeah. I mean, this, that's such a like hard answer to question sometimes because you know, sometimes you have good days and sometimes you have really, really, really bad days. Um, and as a U of T student, I don't think anything is ever actually consistent in life, including with, including how you're doing. Um, so I would say right now at, at this very moment, I'm great. I just woke up um, and I'm joined by three lovely people that I get to talk to. And, and it's not often that you get to talk to people from your university these days that's outside of class. So um, definitely grateful to be alive and still be here. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> from Miss Universe. <laughs> Miss Universe answers. <laughs> so um, how, how have you been like, obviously we're in the middle of a pandemic, like how has that been for you? Has it, how, like, how has that affected your normal life and how are you like coping with this current situation? I mean, it was good at first, really. Like when I I'm from Winnipeg, so that's where I am right now. Um, but be, when right when COVID hit and U of T decided to put everything online, my mom was like, you're going back home. And when a Filipino mom says you're doing something, you're doing it. Like, this, it's not really an option, right? So, so she's like, hey, you're coming home. She booked my flight. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm leaving tomorrow. So it's like, it didn't give me a chance, like pack anything really. I left with one suitcase because I was like, oh, I'll be back in a few months. Like, this is short term, like, I'll be okay. Um, so I have a suitcase full of clothes. Um, and the rest of my belongings are in Toronto because I permanently moved out there. Um, so I don't have a winter jacket here and it started snowing in like October. I don't have winter boots here. Um, so I've been just like cooling it at home because I don't have clothes either. So yeah, it's pretty bad. Um, but the beginning was pretty good. I think like being back home was really nice for me because I've been away from home for three, three years. Um, and all my friends that left the province as well for school all came back home and Winnipeg didn't have too many bad COVID cases there was a point in time where we only had one in the whole province oh, so the, okay. the ability to still go to go to like your friends houses and like to just still chill was there and because it was also summer we could still go on walks we would go on these weekly walks together and just talk at like a socially distanced um, way I guess and, and we would go to the park we'd go get slurpees and everything was fine um, and then I felt like um, throughout the rest of the second sum of the first semester, there was a really like hard transition. Um, I think profs were overcompensating for the fact that we were home and just wanted to like make sure that we weren't cheating. Yeah. And I just felt like that. Oh my gosh. Of, yeah. Like I felt like that balance of like <sighs> yeah. where we don't want you to cheat, but we still want to see what you learned wasn't there because they just wanted to know we weren't cheating, but they didn't actually give us an accurate chance or, or a fighting chance to even show that we knew what we, that we knew anything literally at all. Yeah. And so that, that transition was definitely really hard. And then going into the summer, um, I had a full-time job and a part-time job and I was studying for the LSAT and I had four summer courses and it was tough. It was like, I had to, I had 18 hour work days when I combined everything together. Um, but again, that's that's something that 
I wouldn't have done on a, on a normal summer, but because mm. there was nothing else to do besides stay home, there's mm. that was keeping me in because I know like if I didn't have things to do, I'd probably want to go out and that's something super responsible. So I just tried to hold myself accountable and, and stay home, which I'm grateful that I was able to do. Um, but it was definitely a difficult summer as well, just not being able to see friends, having it to be nice mm. outside. And, and it was just overall a hard time because you know, people were losing their jobs. My friends yeah. were, were going through hard things as well. And, and everyone was put in weird financial situations, weird school situations. Mm -hmm. And it was just getting progressively harder. And then now that we're in the first time of, or the first time of, I guess, the second year that COVID is kind of shifted mm -hmm. into, um, it's been even harder. Because now not only are we trying to deal with more, more students are in classes, right, in the fall. But on top of that, the shorter days and so productivity just for me automatically goes down because I'm mm -hmm. I used to wake up at 6 a.m I would work up I would wake up at 6 a.m go and work out for an hour and then get ready for work do all these things work until five o'clock and then do my classes afterwards and then study afterwards until like 1 a.m or 2 to do the LSAT and, and to study school and now when I'm waking up at 6 a.m it's dark outside like I don't want to be up and then by the time 30 yeah. hits it's dark and so I'm like yeah. I literally had like maybe like six solid working hours and that's mm -hmm. a third of what I used to do yeah. and it's kind of like putting me in a position where I'm like I know I've been more productive than this so mm. like I, the decrease in productivity is like getting to me but also I'm trying to learn to be more forgiving you know like mm -hmm. I have I wake up every single day and, and I end my day with to-do lists for the next day when I wake up, everything's just mm. there. And when you don't cross everything off at the end of the day and everything, like things are unchecked, like it just doesn't sit right with me. So just learning yeah. to look at unchecked boxes and be like, okay, we'll figure this out tomorrow. Mm -hmm. That's a challenge because when you know you're not performing at your peak that you can be, it's hard mm -hmm. to, to be okay with what you're doing. And, and sometimes you just have to realize and remember that whatever you're doing right now is okay. It's fine. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess that's a very long answer to it's yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's increasing. Wait, no, it's slowly getting worse. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. yeah, but that's definitely relatable. It was so nice to hear. Like we were literally just saying how, like the exact words you said that props are compensating for mm -hmm. us being at home or for everything beyond online like that was the exact conversation we were having before you came on the call mm -hmm. so yeah it's definitely relatable to hear all that oh yeah um, and, it, and it shows that they're overcompensating sometimes too so there's yeah. been but there's been great props who mm -hmm. who are understanding and and really yeah. want you to just do your best but then there's those other props where they're like no like we just need to make sure that you're not cheating yeah, yeah. and mm -hmm. Like I had a, a terrible experience this summer. I had like, a, it was, I think, 25 multiple choice questions in 30 minutes. And all of the questions were like oh paragraphs. And like, we did a whole class petition. We we're like, okay, like this is not going to work out. And she's like, no, 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 you guys are fine. And then the next day, she's like, the averages were way below departmental standards. We're going to have to curve the multiple choice section. And there was a long answer, a long answer section where it was four long answer questions in, in 40 minutes. And so she gave us 10 minutes per question. So the whole exam itself was about an hour and 10 minutes. Oh, damn. And so I like literally after the, after the, the exam, 
we all hopped like me and my friends in the class were in a group call and everyone was crying like everyone was just in tears and I'm like this shouldn't be a thing like this should yeah, not yeah. ever be enough. and then you see people blowing up the group chat they're just like yeah yo was anyone else crying right now like that was <gasps> so up. like I hate my oh life my I dropped this class and people dropped the class and I'm like damn like this and this was a, a core requisite class for mental health studies too mm. so I'm like y'all just like that's how much she does <laughs> and then she like yeah like, yeah like I hope that like I'm gonna do a great adjustment I hope that relieves anxiety but it's like no like you're gonna do the exact same thing for the final that didn't help yeah yeah um, yeah life yeah it's interesting because one of my friends is in engineering right now and I know one thing the engineering department does is like on like a bi-weekly or monthly basis they'll gather students and they'll gather profs and they're like as students what do you think we're doing wrong what can we do better like they're constantly getting feedback and when I heard that from my friend she's like a lot of the people in the engineering department right now that she knows are actually doing well because they're constantly giving feedback to their profs and their profs are recognizing and acknowledging what their students are saying and I'm like, how come other departments can't do that? Mm-hmm. Like, why is there not that communication? Because otherwise there, there's such a big gap and like profs don't understand how hard it might actually be for us. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. No, I have this theory where profs should write an exam that before they give it to us and whatever mark they get is the highest, that, that's the 100%, right? So it's like if an exam oh. is 50, 50 marks and they get a 45, the 45 is an A plus because you yourself if you made that shit you should sorry if you made that shit you should, like, you should know you know what I mean like if you, if you taught us and you made the exam and the most you could do is a 45 how do you expect yeah. me to do anything better than a 45 yeah. but yeah. that's just me though oh <laughs> yeah. that's a good one. Oh my gosh I hope someone hears this and makes that a thing we'll hear it but that would a thing. <laughs> yeah that's true okay um well I guess like to backtrack a bit like we wanted to know like like you said, like you moved all the way to Toronto for U of D after living in Winnipeg, you said, like, why did you choose to go all the way to U of D? Um, and yeah. And Okay. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I applied for a scholarship called the TD Scholarship for Community Leadership, um, which is a $70,000 scholarship that they give to 20 students across the country every year. Um, I was great. I was, I was blessed to be able to, to receive that scholarship and you could use that towards any institution in the country. So I originally applied to, to McMaster, um, got in, accepted it, then declined it, applied to UBC, accepted it, then declined it. And I was like, man, Toronto seems fun. I'm going to go there. Um, not knowing anything about U of T, not knowing it was hard, not knowing it's called U of Tears, not knowing about their suicide rates, not knowing about their mental health. I was like, you know what? Like, let me go there. Like, that seems cool. <laughs> Nightlife seems fun. They have a really tall building. We don't have those here. Let me try that. And so, so I applied to UTSC because that was the only campus that was still taking applications by June 1st. So this is like very last minute. Normally you apply in like January or before that even. And so I was like, man, okay, like uh, I may as well try. And so like a month later, I get this acceptance. I'm like, okay, like I guess I'm leaving. <laughs> and I originally applied for poli-sci and soch. And now I'm a fourth year student doing mental health, international development, a minor in media studies and a certificate in global development. So very different from what I originally went for. Um, 
but I chose U of T simply because of the city. I didn't choose it because of the institution. I guess let's get that let's get that out of the way first. I had no idea that it was the number one school in the country. I had, I knew nothing. I just knew that I still wanted to go to school in in a, a city with a better I guess like nightlife and also a city with more I guess a faster pace really because Winnipeg's not very fast paced. Um, and my experience as a U of T student has been again declining <laughs> um, to say the least and yeah I don't know I, I really just chose U of T for the city it, it had nothing to do with the school um, and then when I found out that it was the number one school in the country then I was like okay you know like that's great like I chose the number one school in the country this is a reputable school um, apparently it's it's great they, they create they created insulin or whatever like they're, they're known for so many amazing things and and you know, like that should be great. And I, I feel like an institution that has so much money um, would be able to adapt to and listen to their students when it comes to demands of mental health. I came in very naive and very hopeful thinking that I could create an institutional change. And I was like, basically convinced that I would be able to come in and be like, at the very least create a change on my own campus at UTSC because it was smaller, it would be a smaller scale change. Um, but even I was wrong with that. So um, if I could go back in time, would I go to U of T again? Probably not. Would I ever send my future children to U of T? Probably not. However, like I'm grateful that I was given the opportunity to be there um, and and to make the friends that I made. To I, If I didn't go to U of T, I wouldn't be here today talking to you. So I think everything happened the way it was supposed to. Um, but yeah, I definitely do have mixed feelings about U of T overall. But um, the experiences it gave me make me have no regrets for sure. Yeah, yeah for sure. I'm like, I think I, yeah, like I was thinking about like my experience at U of T as well. I think one of the hardest experiences at U of T was that there's no sense of school identity, you know, mm -hmm. like we don't feel like, for example, like when I go to U of T, I don't feel like, okay, I'm proud to be at U of T. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. It's like, you know, like, for example, McMaster, I was like, apparently McMaster is like in Hamilton. It's pretty far away, but mm -hmm. they still have a, somehow a strong sense of school identity. Like people show up for varsity games, right. stuff like that. But like, yeah. somewhat like for us, like we don't even feel like, apparently people don't even show up for varsity games or stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, I've been to one We're and it's, it's basically empty compared to like if you go to Carlton or you yeah. Ottawa and it's like because we our schedules don't allow us to go yeah. to Carlton. Exactly. We relate on like this on like would I have gone to U of T? Probably not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's what we relate on. Yeah but, no like would, would you advertise it to for people to go there? Probably not and and if I were yeah. gonna play to go to U of T um Actually, I, I would never, I don't think, but but if I were to, I'd definitely give you all the disclaimers, you know, like this was my mm -hmm. personal experience and and I think it's fair game to be able to say that. I don't think it's yeah. any disrespect on the institution, but I think it's like, you're just telling your own story. You're telling the truth. Um, yeah. And and something that I guess I just to bounce off what Ian said is I was talking to one of my friends and um, as I think we all know, we lost a student to suicide in, in early November. Mm. And something that that really popped up from that was we have such a good student community we have students who want to support each other and are there for each other but we were just never taught how or where or when to do that 
we were just automatically put into this environment where we're just fighting for our lives literally and fighting for our futures that we never had the chance to get to know each other we never got the chance to kind of be a support system for each other and it sucks because you know it's like a weird dynamic where no one wants to share notes with you because they they know that the prof's going to curve at the end of uh, curve down at the end of the, the semester but they'll send you paragraphs and paragraphs and make sure you're okay in your Instagram DMs, right? So it's like the, that contrast of, I want you to be okay, but I still can't help you with school stuff because then that puts me in a bad position. It's such a weird thing to be living in. And I just wish that we were given more of an opportunity to come together in, in situations like, like this, for example, where you get to talk to your, to your fellow classmates and, and talk about things that you can all relate to. It's very rare that you get to talk about things outside of a classroom or outside of classroom topics because we don't really have the chance to and and even for my friends I don't know if you guys can relate to this like when we're together we're just studying we're not actually hanging yeah. out like we're not actually having meaningful discussions or or things that are like intellectual discussions about life like we're just talking about fucking psychology or something like it doesn't even matter <laughs> to me like this is like at the end of the day like I don't remember what I learned in first year but I do remember the important conversations that I had with the friends that I made in first year. And those are the lessons that actually matter to me. And the fact that I don't get the opportunity to do them as much as I would like to as the years progress, like really sucks as a student. And as, as someone who is trying to grow as a person and, and make new experiences, mm-hmm. meet new people in a new city. Yeah, it's definitely a balance, like academics and, and like life in general. It's, and it's hard to find that balance when academics is sort of eating up everything else and and you don't realize I like in my experience I didn't realize that in first year you know maybe second year like second year was when I was like okay yeah this is taking up too much of my life I need to have something other than academics or I need to you know I can't just that just that can't be the only thing on my mind so yeah it's it's a struggle to find that balance yeah it's I think that's like the best advice you could ever give someone to like, don't just do school. Cause if you just do school, like you will want to bang your head on the wall. And like, and the most just like, and that's like, that's just, no one should just be doing one thing 40 hours a week and that's it. Or honestly, I feel like we study more than four hours, 40 hours a week for sure. Like mm-hmm. if you're including class time. So it's like, you should not, that should not be your only thing that you do. And if it is like, I encourage you to do something else. Like, pick up a hobby, like talk to some friends, go hang out, go start working out like something because it's not good for your mental health to just mm-hmm. stick to one thing. Like the amount of times I've literally almost started banging my head on a wall because I just felt like this was just too much for me. Like it's it's a tough life to be in. Like being a UFC student is not easy. Yeah, and just one more comment. Like, I don't know, like, I guess like to bring up what you said about um the loss of life that occurred in November. The fact that it own, that it has again taken a suicide to bring us all together, I think it really speaks something. Like nothing else has been able to bring us together besides our, dis, our dissatisfaction at the school and their failings. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. basically like the only way you can get U of T students together is to bash the school for their failings. Like, I, it's just sad. You know, like, yeah, I don't, I don't know how it's going to be. Yeah, but it's just. No, I agree. I've, I haven't seen students come together for any cause like they do for mental health. Um, 
And it's unfortunate because I would like us to come together under better circumstances. You know, like I would like us to come together and talk about mental health and suicide before we even have to. But we don't have the luxury of doing that sometimes. And we don't have the platform to do it. We don't have the opportunity to do it. And it makes it really hard to talk about something that's already very difficult to talk about. Yeah. Um, I guess like on the topic of since like we've already gone there on the topic of mental health, like it's something that you advocate for a lot on your social media. I guess like you, it's just like it's it's something that you talk about a lot. Um, and we just wanted to know, like, what's your stand on it? What's your philosophy on mental health? Um, yeah. So I guess there's two things that I really like to say. Um, the first thing is just because it's a touchy subject does not mean that it should not be touched. The second thing is it's okay not to be okay, but you have to do something about it one day. And I think going back to the first one, it's like, it's so hard to talk about mental health. It can be, some people, it might not be as hard for as others, but since this is an FSAT podcast, thinking about being a Filipino whose parents don't know about mental health, right? Who don't believe in mental health. And, mm-hmm. and I'm, I guess my family is a prime example of this. We didn't talk about mental health growing up, you know, as, as immigrants from the mm-hmm. Philippines, we don't really talk about that stuff. And the only, the only time that we started talking about it was when I lost one of my friends to suicide. And from then it was just something that it's there, you know, like it's a reality. You can't deny something that really happened. So it became something that we had to talk about and it became something my parents had to get educated on because it was affecting me. Mm-hmm. And so my, I guess I do in my ideal world, people learn and talk about mental health, even if it doesn't affect them. People learn and talk about mental mm-hmm. health before someone dies by suicide. God forbid that someone that they know and love does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's that's the first conversation is, don't wait until it's too late to talk about it. Yeah. And, and the second part of it's okay not to be okay. I think in the world that we live in, especially being young people, we're always told that like, we're good. You know, like no one really asks us if we're good. They just tell us that we're good. You know, like mm-hmm. you don't have anything to worry about. You're good. You don't have bills mm-hmm. to pay for. You're good. Like mm-hmm. you're just in school. That's your job. You're good. Mm-hmm. And then you hop on social media and you're like, yo, everyone else is good. Everyone else is smiling. Everyone else is chilling. Like, why aren't I good? And, and it's just such a weird cycle of like, I'm going to post things that make it seem like I'm at the apex of my life too, but then I'm going to feel bad because I'm not actually. And then, but I do know that all these people aren't this happy either. And so you're in this, I guess, like self-damaging cycle of like, I want to be that happy, but you're posting most stuff when you're not really happy either. And so when you're not okay, being able to step back and be like, that is fine is one of the hardest things to do, especially when it seems like everyone else around you is fine. Because then you start feeling weird, you're still feeling like you're not normal and like something's wrong with you. Like nothing is wrong with you. There's things wrong with the world and the way that people, the way that society makes us think that it's not okay to have a bad day. And when it comes to the topic of mental health and, and the difficulty surrounding it, the fact that I guess throwing in in the the culture aspect as well, the fact that sometimes 
within Filipino families. And, and I'm lucky enough to have my parents understand, but there are still members of my family extended that don't understand. And so making this already difficult conversation um, into a debate isn't helpful, right? And it's like, I'm, you know, like if, if someone's struggling with their mental health, it doesn't make them crazy, right? And they automatically throw in the word like, Belio, or you're overreacting, you're like, you're OA, right? And it's like, bro, like I'm not, like I'm actually going through something here. And the fact that, that you know, like it's when it's not a prominent conversation or topic in, in a culture or community, those feelings get set aside or, or they get overlooked or overshadowed. And then it makes, it kind of like turns someone off from ever talking about it again. And so I guess when, when I'm combining every, every experience that I've had and all the discussions that I've had, I think it all really boils down to conversation. I think talking about it and the transparency surrounding it is the most important part because no matter what comes after transparency, you could give us resources, you know, like you could give me money to go to psychologists, you could give me money to go to counselors. But if mm -hmm. I don't want to talk about it, I'm not going to use anything else that you give me because I'm going to be too scared to ask for help. Mm -hmm. And so when we get to normalize that conversation, even if it's within, you know, your friend group or what's in, yeah. within your household or what's, it's within like your cousins, once you normalize that within a specific community, mm -hmm. I've seen per from personal experience, like the support just feels amazing because you know you're not alone in it. And once you get to have these conversations and, and regularly be able to say like, I saw a therapist today or I'm waiting for a therapy session, like just that ability to be comfortable with struggling is so beautiful once it happens, but to mm -hmm. actually foster that environment is so difficult sometimes yeah. because yeah. people don't know how to talk about mental health. Mm -hmm. And so I guess overall, my, my take on mental health is my, my story and, and my passion behind it lies behind the fact that when I was 15 years old, I lost one of my friends to suicide and his suicide was one of four high school student suicides that happened in a month. And so Winnipeg is a very small city and everyone knew of each other basically and everyone knew one of those students or knew someone who was close to those students. And so the power of conversation for me really showed because I was like, I can't be the only one that sees something wrong with this. And when you get to speak up and use your voice and gather other people who are just as frustrated as you are, as we've seen at U of T, it's one of the strongest things that brings people together, just that pain and that hurt to find healing within each other and within that community. And so that's why I love advocating for mental health because it doesn't cost you anything. I'm not asking to give up your arm. I'm not asking to give me a hundred dollars. Like I'm asking you to just talk about it and be nice to yourself and other people. And that's, it seems so minuscule to ask for, but it's actually very hard to be kind to yourself. And, and I guess that's, that's why the conversation of mental health is so important to remind people you love and to remind yourself that, it, you know, it's, it's okay to struggle. What do you think, as you said, like, it's a difficult conversation to have. And it takes, I think, a lot of courage to be the first one to take that step in any social environment. How do you think like we can go about making it a more normalized conversation? I think starting with yourself, I think being honest with yourself and just like acknowledging that you're not okay. And then being honest with the people that you trust and being honest with people that have created a safe relationship with you. Like if your best friend asks you how you're doing and you genuinely trust them, then let them know you're you're not doing great. Like last night, like um, there's just been a lot going on in my life. And, and I called some of my best friends and I was like, Hey, like, 
I know we can't get together, but like I went and I dropped off White Claws at everyone's house. And I was like, we're just going to drink over FaceTime. And so we like did like a tea time with White Claws yesterday. And, and we just talked and I was like, okay, everyone spilled the tea. Like, I know we're all not good. So like someone start, like start talking. And, and it was great. Like it was, it was the moment of bonding that I haven't had in a while with my friends. So just being able to talk about like how we're really doing in a safe space, in a safe environment, like it's very rare to get to do that in today's world. But I think being able to start with you know, the people that you trust and the good relationships that you have, just be able to be like, you know, like, it's okay. Like, if you wanted to talk about any issues that you have, you know, like any friendship issues or family issues or any life issues in general, like, we're here to listen to you. And I think as much as I push for conversation, I think people forget that a part of conversation is listening. It's not just talking. And so how do you approach mental health with just talking you can't you have to listen to what is hurting someone you have to listen to what is affecting someone's mental health and once you're able to listen and once you're able to talk that makes for an even better relationship where you get to talk about mental health on a daily basis and it's normal and it's Mm. it's a good first step to have so even if you don't go and get that professional help the fact that they're talking at all is a very good first step Yeah. yeah and there's always that automatic like how are you I'm good thing and I think when you were saying that I was thinking I guess like now well I personally need to start being like okay I'm not good I don't have to say I'm good like it's it's like an automatic reaction that we have to be I guess more conscious about because when you say that it just closes it off kind of like you know what conversation comes out of that nothing nothing yeah like I guess a story I like to tell as well is my brother and and one of my best friends I was actually on the call with yesterday um, they had a class together <laughs> and so one day you know she walks up to my brother and she's like hey Gian how's it going and he goes good good how are you and she says bad and then my brother goes oh good good just like because automatically like, he thought she was gonna say good <laughs> and so she like texts me she's like your brother's an ass and I'm like what <laughs> like, he just said it was good that I was doing bad and then, like my brother comes home I was like yo why would you say that and he's like no like I thought she was gonna say good like it was an accent like I didn't mean to yeah. and I was like it was funny we laughed after and I was like okay but it's like one of those things where you're right, like it automatically shuts off the conversation um, and you don't get the chance to actually be honest if you're not doing good. You know, some people are doing good. You know, like I said, like you have good days. So, you know, if you're doing good, say you're doing good. But if you're not, try and be honest with the people that you feel safe being honest with. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess like you mentioned earlier, how it's, it's not something that's always talked about in Filipino communities and Filipino families. How is that like for you um pursuing like mental health studies um what does that mean for you being a Filipino and pursuing something like that that you know in our community is often taboo Mm -hmm. and yeah I feel like it's like unorthodox you know for a Filipino to be talking about mental health because it's like we don't do that you know like we don't talk about mental health we don't acknowledge it we some a lot of us don't even believe it's real um I don't even think we have Tagalog words for for words like mental illness, unless it's associated with negative connotations. I don't think we really have words for it. So how do you talk about mental health when there's not even words for it in your language? Mm -hmm. And like being being in mental health studies, you know, like people, I'll have family members or like even other members of the Filipino community ask me like, what are you taking? I say mental health. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Like, what are you going to do after like you're gonna be a doctor, right? I'm like, uh, no, like, no, I don't, I don't want to. Like, I just want to talk about mental health for the rest of my life because it's important. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and I think going into it um I was never a, a big science person I never wanted to be a doctor ever um so being a Filipino that also doesn't want to be a doctor but is already in science like it's like weird to them they're like okay so like why are you in science if you don't want to be a doctor um so that's kind of weird but um there's also like to to put it bluntly like Filipinos don't like saying things to your face sometimes right and so oh my gosh right yeah. so it's like you yep. know you're, yep. you're, you're the, <laughs> You just hear the the gossip at like Filipino parties when you're walking down the stairs and passing them or whatever. And it's like you hear and like or or their kids talk, you know what I mean? Like, yo, like, you know, my mom doesn't believe in mental health, like she supports you, all that stuff, like she doesn't actually yeah. like believe in it. And it's like, why support me then? You know what I mean? Like, why are mm. you saying you're proud of me? Why are you advertising my stuff if you don't believe in it? And it's like, I would rather have no support than fake support. But Filipinos sometimes, yeah. right? They 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 have a hard time being upfront sometimes. Um, sometimes they're too upfront. Sometimes you know yeah. there's just like this, there's like this balance that is just like not met sometimes. And not to generalize yeah. anything, but this is definitely my experience with my family. Um, and so just talking about the issue of mental health and and kind of like explaining that it's a real topic and it's a real issue. And this is a real degree that I'm getting um, in a real program. Um, it's it's tough sometimes to to get that acceptance and to get people to understand that this is just like if I was gonna take a life cycle course on biology, like it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just being able to get people to recognize within the Filipino community that mental health is a is a serious topic is, is one that's been difficult for me and one that I've been battling for a very long time. And even like, sometimes my parents are, are into discussions where someone says, you know, like, do you, they ask them if they believe in it. And they're like, what do you mean? Like my daughter literally is going through it right now. Like, what do you mean? Is yeah. it real? Like, <sighs> it's, it's such a weird question, but I also understand the, the cultural gap. I don't think, I would like to think, that people don't want to be ignorant on purpose. I think it's just, mm-hmm. you know, like we grew up a certain way and this is what my mom and my dad were telling me like a few weeks ago, like we grew up a certain way and that didn't include talking about mental health. That didn't include talking about racism or Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. That didn't include not what words you should use and what words you should not use. Like our social acceptability yeah. was a lot different from what yours is now. So if mm-hmm. we as adults have shortcomings, it's not entirely our fault. I think the shortcoming is when you choose not to learn and unlearn. That's where mm-hmm. the shortcoming is. But if you just, you know, like for the first time in your life or are meeting someone who lost someone to suicide or attempted suicide or has a mental illness, that's, an, that's a learning experience for you. And, and what you do with that, ex, that information and that experience is what really defines you. Because, you know, like 50 years from now when we're old and wrinkly, like the world's gonna be different. Like we're gonna have different, there's gonna be different societal rules that we're gonna have to learn and unlearn. Mm-hmm but it's a willingness to do so. Like, are you willing to to go above and beyond to learn about mental health, to learn about what language you should and should not use, to learn about the fact that it is real? Mm-hmm. I think that extra step in initiative is something that everyone should take, not just Filipinos, but learning about mental health, why it's important, why is it real? How does it affect people? Does it affect everyone? Because I think Filipinos sometimes think, you know, like, let me put some holy water and you put some bakes on you and you're blessed. Like you wake up the next day and you're fine. And it's like, just go to church, just pray, just whatever. And it's like, like praying is, is a form of 
of spiritual healing that sometimes can help your mental health, but it's not the answer. It's not like someone has cancer and you just pray and tell them to go to church and they're fine. That's not mm-hmm. how that works. Like you would, you would fight for someone to get the treatment that they want if it was physical. Mm-hmm. So why, why is my mental health, why is the treatment praying when mm-hmm. this is just as serious as any physical thing? Mm-hmm. And I think for Filipinos who are very religious, and that's a lot of us, um, it's hard because you just want to say, you know, like, I believe God will, will take care of you, God will whatever. But it's like, it's hard when you don't see it as a real illness. Because then at that point, it's like, it's almost like this is a choice, you know, like, they want you to one day choose happiness. They want you to one day to not mm. to choose mental illness. And it's like, if I want, if I could choose to be okay, don't you think I would choose to be okay? Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's a tough conversation to have because there are people who will never believe in mental health, unfortunately. There are people who will never be on the same page as you. And those are the, the people, for me at least, I had to walk away from because it's so damaging. And, and even if it is a family member, even if it is a close friend, you know, some things that are that used to be good for you aren't good for you anymore. And, and that's okay to just walk away. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I think, you know, as as fellow Filipinos, well, as students too, like, it really does mean a lot to have that representation, you know, like, to see that someone from our community is talking about it. It does a lot like in, in, in just you existing and doing what you're doing. It's <laughs> it's already doing a lot you know for for us like you know we were inspired to make these like to have these conversations on our podcast because we see you advocating these things so like it does mean a lot um for us and yeah I just wanted to say that (laughs) I'm so happy to be here and, and thank you for for having this podcast and shining light on things that Filipinos don't like talking about yeah we're like it's a it's a cycle thing you know it's like we want to talk about it, but we don't have a place to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And then because you don't have a place to talk about it, you don't want to talk about it anymore because there is no place to talk about it. So why would you want something that you can't have? And yeah. so it's just this whole cycle of we're not given the opportunity to come together to talk about these things. And and I'm glad mm-hmm. to see that other young Filipinos are talking about it beyond us. There's other young people who give me hope that, you know, like our next generation of Filipinos will know about mental health. We'll be aware of, of suicide and mental illness. We'll be aware that mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter. We'll be aware about racism. We'll be aware about all these things that our parents weren't aware of because of where they were raised or or mm-hmm. how they were raised and the culture they were raised and the time they were raised in. And I just, I have faith that we will do better and, and you just have to have faith that we will do better too or else what is the point, yeah. right? So it's, it's great to yeah. be able to come together and talk about something like mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess one question we had was in all your work for, you know, to advocate mental health, where do you see hope? Like what, what, yeah, where, where, where in all of this do you see hope? It's actually tough because it's so hard to see hope sometimes, right? Like Mm -hmm. my, like, I don't even like Instagram anymore. Like all my DMs, (laughs) it's like, I like, I'm struggling and I'm going through this and like everyone treating their personal stories, which is great. And I love it. I love that people are talking about mental health, but it's like, man, this many people are struggling and it's still not important. Like mm-hmm. that really does a number to, to look at like, how like it's almost harder to not care than it is to actually care. And so I think the hope for me, which is so weird to say is when we all come together 
no matter what the circumstances are. And so my heart was so full back in November when, you know, everyone started talking about mental health. But why did it have to be under those circumstances? But the fact that we are able to come together and try to find healing within our own community, like really gives me hope because it shows me that, you know, as young people, we're not taking the bullshit that the university is giving us. We're not taking the bullshit. The society is, is, is telling us that we have to be okay. And, I, and it gives me hope seeing that, you know, we're, we're not okay with the fact that this is just the way that things are apparently. And when we start to, to deny that this is just the way that things are, I think some real change can come from it. So when we're able to recognize that this is a societal trend, but this should not be the way that things are, that gives me hope because we're now able to recognize the fact that there is something that we can change here. And it might not be something that we can do this year. It might not be something we can do next year or even the next decade. But the goal is to leave the place better than we found it. And that gives me hope because it looks like that we're doing that. It looks like, you know, we're, we're deconstructing racism. We're deconstructing the myths around mental health. And we're deconstructing mm -hmm. all these things that are damaging to so many different people. And so the hope lies in the fact that young people continue to keep talking about this change. And as much as I'd love to reply to all the DMs that I have, it's just, it gives me hope that we come together even in pain, especially in pain, and, and to simply find healing. So just knowing that these, these challenges and these obstacles don't silence us, but they actually make us louder and stronger, that's probably one of the greatest feelings that I've had for sure. I guess going off that, like, obviously change doesn't happen instantly, but we kind of all do have a part in how we move forward as a society. Um, and so what do you think, like, what is our role as individuals to make this community better? Like, how can we be more present and reach out to people? Like, what exactly, alongside, like, having these conversations, how do we reach out beyond our like safety net, like beyond the people we're comfortable being around, you know, like how do we, we get broaden our reach, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, something that my mom used to tell me was, uh, I never made my bed growing up. I still don't really do it. But what she says is, you know, like how can you expect to take on the world when you can't even make your own bed, right? Like how do you, like charity starts at home is what she would always say. And so as much as, you know, like you want to broaden your reach, like start with yourself, make sure you're blessed. And once you're blessed, um, start like screaming from the mountaintops literally is what I did. You know, like I was like, man, like part of my language, but this is fucked up and this is fucked up and this is fucked up. Right. And so you're like, don't be scared to tell the truth because honesty, like we said it before this call was recorded, honesty is what we all want. Honesty is what progresses conversation. Honesty is what progresses the world. And even if that means, you know, like saying something that, that you're terrified of saying, like the things that have amplified my voice the most are the ones I've been the most scared to say. Like, it's not easy to talk about mental health and, and criticize University of Toronto. That's not easy. I look at this stuff and I'm like, man, like who's going to see this? Like, is any admins here? Are my profs going to see it? Like, you know, are my TAs going to see it? Are they going to disagree with me? Are they going to mark me poorly on, on, you know, like there's just so many things that you don't know of and you don't know who sees it. Um, so I think the first step to, to making that broader change is to be honest and to look at things critically and think critically about the real issues out there. And as much as, you know, we say like, man, U of T sucks for like this and that, it's like, 
there the school itself the education aspect and the research that comes with it sure it isn't bad and we're not criticizing that part of UFC we're criticizing the fact that they're neglecting their students that's what we're getting at here we're not getting we're not trying to say screw U of T we're trying to say screw the fact that U of T is neglecting us mm-hmm. and so call it what it is you know like if you want to talk about mental health, you can't do it without saying the word suicide. You can't do it without saying the word mental health. You know, like get to the point, get to what no one else wants to say, address the elephant in the room, because without doing that, you can't get anywhere. If you want to talk about mental health, but you don't want to say these sensitive words or go to the, the, to the touchy subject, you won't be able to actually broaden your reach or you won't be able, be able to make that change that you want without being able to be honest with yourself and being honest with other people. Um, so there's, there's that aspect for sure. Um, and then I guess the last aspect is longevity, right? Like being a mental health advocate and talking about mental health is not easy. And if you, something else that my friend was telling me yesterday was, you know, like you're more of a disservice to the world when you're not taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. So when you're advocating for mental health and, and when you're talking about mental health, make sure to take that break for yourself. Make sure to take a step back and realize if I'm in this for the long run, then I got to mm-hmm. chill out. I got to stop and, and stop myself before I burn out. Because you're no, this is what my mom says, because, you know, sometimes I forget to eat or whatever, or I forget to sleep. And she's like, you're no use to anyone when you're dead. Right. And so if you, if you want to help people, it's, it's morbid, but it's funny, but it's like, if you want to help people in the long run, you have to be taking care of yourself. You have to, if you want to broaden your reach, you can only, the best way to do that is over time. Right. So it's like, if you're not taking care of yourself to be able to last 10 years, you're not going to get to broaden your reach to the point where you could ever to, to your full potential. So being able to tell the truth, being able to be honest with yourself and take care of yourself and being able to understand when you're about to burn out are three key parts of, of being a mental health advocate because it's not easy topics that we have. It's not easy to tell the truth. It's sometimes mentally draining to, to continue fighting for something that seems like is not getting anywhere, especially within U of T. It's, it's hard to keep talking about it. And I guess the last point that I want to hop off of that is, you know, like, try your best to put yourself in situations where you can have faith, you know, like, have faith in humanity, have faith in your friends, like surround yourself in a good community. And just talk about it. You know, like, talk about the fact that, you know, like, one day, like, we will be there, we will get there one day, like manifest the fact that everything will be okay one day. And just keep saying it and keep like self reassuring yourself and and keep saying yourself affirmations that it will be okay. I guess knowing that like and what is like your goals for like how do you see us progressing with the topic of mental health like what do you want to see like what is the goal you you have in mind for how we move forward is us U of T or like Um, us in general like people both because I feel like there's us we can do as a society and there's also us as students of U of T that we can do within U of T yeah yeah I think um, I guess we'll we'll start with U of T is pretty um, relevant. Um, do I see us progressing? I think personally, the only way that U of T will progress is is if their money is threatened somehow. That's personally what I think. I think the only, like we're their biggest money makers. You know, like we we draw in how many years, how many thousands of dollars a year. International students draw in how many thousands of dollars of of, of money a year, and like until their operations 
and their money is threatened, I don't think there's a reason really to create change. Because, you know, it's been working for so long. Why would you Why would you change as an institution? This has been working for you. And, and no matter what has happened, you still remain as a top university in the country. So why should we care is the real question. Why do you care? Why should you care? But the only way I personally was, was like theorizing this, the only way that I think anything would ever happen is if we just all dropped out which obviously would never happen. But if we all just like dropped our courses for the second semester and we we're like, yo, nobody sign up, nobody yeah. do this, which not everyone would do, obviously. But mm-hmm. I feel like that would be the only way yeah. that we could actually get there. Like a strike. Yeah, like and uh, like not the strike where you go and you stand outside with like yeah. picket signs, but the strike where it's like, yo, we're going to take our money back yeah. before you get a chance to use it. Mm-hmm. And that's like... But that's like such a, again, it, it kind of has the same vibe of like, you know, Greta, when she was um, striking for, for climate change, the point there was this topic is more important than me getting my education because without, the, uh, without addressing climate change, my future is non-existent anyways, right? And so it's, it's kind of the similar way where it's like, my education is irrelevant because I know that my students are dying, my, my friends and students are dying. But it's like, in order for it to actually be a meaningful and impactful change, a large portion of us would have to do it, which mm-hmm. I don't know is really possible to accept from people mm-hmm. um, or to expect from people. So um, will change come? I don't know, like I think the, the optimist side of me wants to say yes, and the optimist side of me wants to say like, you know, we've lost so many students to suicide already it's going to be, um, it's going to be okay. It's, it's going to be great. But, you know, like we, I don't know if you guys know this, but we have nine, 90 counselors for 90,000 students, which is one for 10,000 students. And uh, that we only recently got to 90 counselors, I think in 2018 or 2019. So we just got that. We weren't sitting at one for one for every 10,000 before that. Um, so, but again, because bringing counselors costs apparently $3 million. Um, it's a, which is only a portion of, of the billions of revenue that they make every single year, but but whatever, right? Um, it's, it's tough to say whether or not they will create change because, you know, clearly they don't care about bad press because it's been out there. They don't care that students are dying because it's been happening. And it's like, how fast do they actually put barriers in Bayhem? pretty fast so clearly you have disposable funds somewhere but Bain was like a one-time thing you know it's like okay you just pay for that once and it's done and it's just there as opposed to counselors where it's like hey you got to pay them every single year you got to train them you got to do all this you got to build services around it my cost money and it's like and then think about the fact they gave us a week-long winter break did that cost them anything didn't cost them shit and they were only following suit of other large universities. They didn't do it first. It, it, they didn't even do it voluntarily. We had a petition, right? So it's like, it's hard to say whether or not they will actually create change. I will be hopeful and I will say yes. However, and all the conversations that I've had with deans and, and the vice provost and, and profs themselves, you know, like all I've ever heard is empty promises, which makes it very hard to be hopeful and to be optimistic, you know, like, and I've, I've even volunteered my time and I was like, yo, like just, I will help, you know, like 
I have an amazing group of youth thrive students who can help, who, who are advocates, who want to represent the issue of mental health across the campus. We're here. Mm-hmm. Like the disconnect is not the fact that students don't want to talk. The disconnect is the fact that you don't want to listen. And that's the mm-hmm. problem here. So as long as they're not listening, real change can't be created. And they're going to experts to talk about things that they can do to, to address the mental health issue at U of T. The experts are the students. The experts are the people, the lived experience that have been neglected, that have been turned away, that have been handcuffed at health, health and wellness, that have been given long wait times, that have been told that their, their problems aren't important enough right now to be at the front of the line. So go home. In that environment, how can you expect any student to want to, to, want to get help, to want to, to want to be better and come back after that? And we talk. Students know that when they have a bad experience, they're going to tell people. And so we hear about these terrible horror stories at health and wellness, and it makes no one want to go. And so can we expect change for as long as the university is not listening? No, I don't think we can expect change. But a part of me wants to think that one day they will listen. I don't know how many lives it's going to take. I don't know how many years it's going to take. But I'd like to think that people are not as heartless as they seem. And that's the only way that you can really keep faith in being a mental health advocate, I think. I guess to close off, we're going to do a little fun segment. Um, oh, we just like shit really, sorry. <laughs> sorry. You want, no, I think there's so much to digest with what you just said, honestly, mm-hmm. with how yeah. the school is. And I think, in my opinion, it has to start smaller. Like it has to start from the departments. It has to start from before it can profs. be a whole institutional thing. Yeah, it has to start from the profs, from the departments, from and only from there can we really build up to something greater so yeah in time hopefully Mm -hmm. honestly like you said we talk about it all the time I don't expect change by the time I graduate but I hope that one day it'll happen Mm -hmm. yeah all we can really do just hope (laughs) hope and talk about it really yeah um but yeah I guess to close off we're gonna do a fun little segment which is a rapid fire um so I guess the first thing that comes to mind just say whatever. <laughs> um, so the first one, what is your favorite food? Oh my God. I think French fries, potatoes in general. Okay. <laughs> Next, happiness is blank. Wow. I don't know a word. <laughs> um, happiness is love. Um, one thing you have on your bucket list graduating U of T. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes, you're almost there. You're almost May. there. You're almost there. Um, first thing you'll do once COVID ends. Travel. Yeah. Um, related to what you've been talking about, what do you think, um, what is something you do for your own self-care or during your time off? Play video games. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, what is one piece of advice you would give to a university student who may be struggling to have motivation at this point in the semester, given like the pandemic or just the current situation? Man, you got this. It feels like you don't, but you do. We've all been there <laughs> and uh, we're here we are, you know, third and fourth year students. Like as much as it feels like you're not going to make it, you will make it. Um, and one last thing. So I guess first, do you celebrate Christmas? Yes. Okay. Since Christmas is coming up, what is your favorite Christmas tradition or anything you like to do during the holidays? Mm. I dress my dog up and she hates it. 
like I put her in like a red knit sweater and she absolutely hates it but she's so cute in it but uh yeah that's that's what I do (laughs) so cute send pics I'd love to see I will will. (laughs) (laughs) um so again uh, thank you so much for being part of this conversation and for being so honest and real about your experiences and sharing that because I think it's hard enough to be vulnerable but like you said these are conversations that need to be had if we want to move forward as a society um so thank you for that um and thank you for making time because obviously you have so much other things to do (laughs) we really appreciate it yeah I mean thank you for reaching out I'm so happy that you know on a Saturday morning this is how I get to start it um definitely sets the mood for the rest of the day which is awesome so I'm super excited to to hear the podcast later on and and to continue talking about mental health so stay in touch you know keep me up to date I'd love to to hear about the amazing things that FSAT's doing so thank you for having me I guess the close just a shout out to Cheyenne for editing this episode and to JSYR on Spotify for making our intro again thank you so much uh, Louisa for showing up today um, and for making time for us and we hope to see you all in the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye.